Hey guys, welcome to the Lo-Fi Crypto Podcast. Just want to remind you that none of this is financial advice. This is just two dudes talking about things that they think are awesome. Invest carefully and do your own research. And with that, turn it over to Sean. Okay, so let's talk about wallets. You said you had a place you wanted to start. Yeah, so so I ran it. I was actually talking to someone. I was talking to a friend's mom who wanted to get into cryptocurrency. She was like, I have a certain amount of money that I leave for high risk investments. I'm kind of unenthused by the current state of the stock market. There's not a particular company that I think has, you know, that I'm really passionate about and or has like a ton of growth potential. I've been following cryptocurrency for a bit. I'm interested in getting into it in some way. What are my options and how do I do this? And I started explaining what exists. Like you can get an exchange, you can get on an exchange like Coinbase, you can get on Binance or something like that. FTX um, is another one. FTX. Um, there's quite a few. Gate.io. Yeah, there's a ton. Um, but I told her, you know, like if you buy cryptocurrency, the important factor in making sure that you keep it safe is moving it off the exchange uh, because that's an obvious huge um, target for hacks of and, and things of that sort. You should move it off and make sure you put it and store it in a wallet. She was like, oh, I heard about these. My daughter had one and lost it. And now she can't get it back. That sounds terrible. Why would I ever get one of those? I weigh, I definitely rather keep all my crypto on the exchange where I can reset my password, et cetera, et cetera, and get my money back. And I was like, oh, that's a, yeah, that's a totally fair and reasonable, um, you know, explanation for not getting a wallet. But it's kind of uh, disheartening, kind of a bummer that she feels that way. And um, it's something that it made me realize that wallets are very complicated and, Eric mentioned this and that's kind of that's what inspired the topic for today. Uh, wallets make very little sense for most people. And it's also just a foreign concept on the Internet in general. If you lose something, you can get it back. There's always a way, there's always a method to get the thing back or there's infinite copies of the thing that you want or had. So you can always get it again. This is blockchain generally whether it's nfts or just wallets is not that way it's rather permanent and if you don't have your seed phrase then you do not have your wallet with it though comes a great you know huge amount of security uh but it's still a huge problem and most people don't don't even understand how they work so i guess i'm not even sure where the best place to start is i think there's two areas that are of interesting focus here which is one which is usability and then two which is redundancy not redundancy let's say let's say flexibility and i think why those are two interesting topics is they go they go the opposite directions usability i think is about hand waving away every element of the conversation we would have about flexibility 
And what I mean by those two, just to get the thought started, then jump whatever direction you want, regardless, is usability of it should be one click and as simple as any other action one does on a phone. And then two, uh, flexibility in the sense of it should be as usable as possible in a way where it provides convenience. Convenience is a really important idea for access to money or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that direction I would go more in like the smart contract land and how you could set up smart contracts where you have a liquidity pool in your family and all the wallets. If one goes bunk, the other ones can remove the liquidity out of the pool, stuff like that. Uh, which I think is an interesting idea on solving that problem. But those are two very different conversations. So I'm happy to go either direction you think is more interesting. Well, I think, I mean, I think both of those or are more. great. Let, or more. Before we even get down those, because I would say that those are both probably very advanced um, conversations, let's kind of review what the basics of sure. what a wallet actually is. Because it's really a critical piece of like what blockchain is and it's the touch point that everyone has to the blockchain it's a lot of what provides the security so i guess in my own mind how i you know explain a wallet to myself or i understand it um i think of it almost as it is my own server where i store um my cryptocurrency and it is not actually that, but I think of it that way, you know, in the, you know, in how I use the internet generally, I may make an account somewhere and that account information and my password, my ID and everything that belongs to that account is stored somewhere on a server. A wallet is different in that it is not stored somewhere in a server. It is actually stored with me. Um, it's actually stored on the blockchain, but in my experience of it, it is stored with me in my seed phrase. So my seed phrase is when you start a wallet, give a bunch of different words, um, you write those down, and it tells you, please, please store this somewhere very safe uh, on paper, not digitally. If anyone has access to this, you lose your wallet, or they create a duplicate of your wallet. Um, the seed phrase, and, just, just for real quick to jump in, a seed phrase, a really yeah. good way of thinking about it is just a, ba a password, a randomly generated password, because effectively it functions the same way. If someone has your password to something, they have the thing. So um, that is... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I've, that's how I used to think about it. I'm not sure if I entirely agree with that analogy, because a password is something you can change, and it feels like the lock on something where... I feel like in practice, the seed phrase is more the vault. I mean, I guess seed, the word seed is kind of a key, key word there because it's where you spawn. It's how you can make copies because you can, you can actually have a single wallet duplicated infinite number of times. You just type that same seed phrase in every single time. You can have that wallet open and usable on any number of devices. Uh, so if you lose it, your wallet can be owned, literally owned by infinite number of people. So it's almost more significant than just a password. It's it's really it's almost like this analogy wise. It's almost the server that you store things on itself. 
it's like a a virtual storage um and if you have that seed phrase you have the whole thing and if you share it with someone they have a duplicate forever uh the only solution you don't want someone else to have access to it is to create a new one and then it will not have the original contents on it and so it is very very much a foreign concept just in that alone again i think you're right john referring to it as a password is is correct in just explaining the why you should protect it and the usability yeah and when you use it but in in beyond that in practice it's kind of more significant than that the reason i keep my my seed phrases written down by hand on paper and then in a fireproof waterproof safe is because it's literally that is that is the all of my belongings, all my blockchain digital belongings um can be accessed with this piece uh the seed phrase um and that is in losing that it would be colossal like it is essentially it's not even handing away like if you imagine it's a safe it's not the same as handing away or publishing the combination to the safe it's way more significant than that. Right, right, right. It's safe. You, it's the safe itself. Right. It's literally like, oh, with this, I can spawn the safe open in front of me. I right. literally can teleport within inside the safe uh, with this safe phrase. So it really is significant. Um, and I think that's the the new phenomenon i guess on the internet with these seed phrases and blockchain is that your responsibility over the security uh and the contents of your wallet has everything to do with how well you are protecting and organizing you know your belongings and so you can always access the seed phrase in a way that's also safely stored right in the reality yeah you're right most people in their lives don't have something that they're actually truly responsible for at least solely responsible for there's insurance there's uh backups there's all sorts of there's alternates there's all sorts of ideas in that regard baked into the way we build civilization um even in your house in your car all of these elements any position you have typically it has um some sense of insurance i think is a good way of putting it yeah but not always go not to a wallet by itself yeah exactly like even just yeah like a bank is a great example of like if if you need if something goes wrong if someone takes money out of your account that wasn't supposed to, you can actually go talk to someone most of the time and get that fixed. Like, I remember this insane story of a friend of mine was in Japan, ended up in, like, the Yakuza territory, and they ended up taking money out of his bank account, like, while he, you know, he went to an ATM, they forced him to, like, take money out of his bank account, and he handed them, like, thousands of dollars in cash the bank actually gave him his money back which doesn't even make sense but they literally 
added money back in his bank account um even though the cash was actually stolen um there's no option for that in cryptocurrency right yeah there's no person to go to that will solve a problem for you um it as is of now as of, on you as of now i i, I want to say and that's kind of the second thought i wanted to introduce there was like i do think that is a short-term problem yeah, to some degree, but I also, with I'm describing a lot of the downside in the responsibility you have, but that's also exactly why it's incredible, because you you are in complete control over like your digital goods or or finances in a way that like a traditionally with fiat money, a bank has access and visibility to literally all of your money and they're agreeing to you know to not screw you or fuck you over but that's only something that we actually have the luxury of in a the united states or other developed countries like europe um in other you know third world countries like this has been talked about in the news a lot you can or you know or, or russia even if you are not, if you are critical of Putin, your account might be frozen. You might lose all access to money just on a given day. Um, that is something that could never happen in cryptocurrency. And so, right. yeah, maybe in the future we come up with different interesting ways to solve problems around me losing money or getting a refund or reverting a transaction in some ways, some, some safety nets. But if that comes at the cost of this deep independence that cryptocurrency provides, I think actually people won't be that interested. It's not the compromise may be worth making. And so I think, I think almost, it's kind of we have to grapple with this new responsibility because it actually is a worthwhile responsibility it is scary because you have so much responsibility in protecting this uh you do not have a bank that can undo anything dumb you do i personally burned money uh on a decentralized exchange and it sucked it's also that is the beauty of it at the same time like I am entirely accountable for everything everything that happens with my money. How do you think that relationship the 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 relationship of having accountability with your money to the average person is going to develop now that it's at least right now um more relevant than it has been historically? Um people are you have the opportunity of actually holding your wealth and the responsibility of actually holding your wealth. It seems like it's, at least in the world that I've experienced, really encouraged people to, um, at a core of that idea, really understand is what is wealth and what is value. I think about that is, is do you think the recognition of true value and wealth will inspire people to want that responsibility? Or do you think that the culture of I don't want to be accountable or I want a freebie or not a freebie, sorry, a safety net um, is more important and more dominant and will stay that way. I think for most people, safety net is the priority. You know, I think most people are interested in 
protecting what they have. Um, and the greater responsibility is not going to be interesting to most people. Uh, but there are going to be some people that see what can be done with the with the responsibility, the, the ability to have full control over their finances and doing interesting creative things with it, whether it's liquidity pools or even traditional financing kind of um, strategies with their money. But that's definitely the hard mode. Like that's definitely toggling, you advanced know. Advanced settings on? Advanced settings for sure. And most people won't be interested in that. So there's going to have to be um, innovation on the basic wallet level that allows people to get a wallet more easily, understand the value of the wallet, and opt into uh, storing it themselves or storing it centralized. I think that's honestly, even though it's a little bit goes against um, the uh religion of cryptocurrency i think it's all the only thing that really makes sense if trust wallet when i download it prompts me with an option of for highest level security please write down this seed phrase if you're not interested in securely storing this yourselves you can encrypt it and store it on our centralized server we huh. do warn you this comes with some risk and you opt into it and then it generates your wallet and if you need to access your seed phrase again you use a standard password login whatever but at least you're owning the responsibility of not owning the responsibility um i think that could work and then once you people create those accounts and they're kind of using it and more familiar with Oh, okay. Trust Wallet is basically Coinbase. It just doesn't have a built-in marketplace. Kind of does. Just hand waving that away. It's where I can store my cryptocurrency, and it is not sitting on an exchange like a Coinbase or a Binance. This is good. I understand the point of this. Um, I'm not paying fee needless fees to Coinbase for moving my money around. Once they maybe get used to it and they understand the value of it and as they start to have uh more wealth stored on that wallet that's when they might reevaluate the need to have it securely you know the seed phrase securely stored elsewhere and not on the centralized encrypted server that trust wallet provides and then you go maybe go into settings and you choose to reclaim your seed phrase and maybe they there's like a deletion process that your seed phrase is like they promise to delete it and there's some proof of that this is where it gets complicated because once you put it in one place to know that it's gone forever is a little bit tough but there's something that could be worked out there that i think could work for people that would help so you've you've kind of expressed interest it seems in a couple of different areas of sort of this semi centralized i guess is a, a term i would describe there as a semi-centralized service which is one that offers the fully uh decentralized version or access to the fully decentralized version as well as the centralized way um you've expressed that in wallets in games um a lot of in, in accounts 
Um, do you would you say that you identify the onboarding, the wallet making, the account as the one of the core points of friction within adoptability? I think so. I think when there's so much okay like you're setting an account up for the first time and you're basically told before you even move forward that if you lose this you're fucked (laughs) you know that is a lot of weight um placed on your first action that's true so before you know the amount of yeah you have no idea what you're doing you've never used it forever and you're getting like red exclamation mark you know pop-up windows telling you that if you fucking lose this you're screwed and you're like wait a minute what am i even doing i only know what this is that's a massive point of friction if we consider every click or tap in an app to be a problem because any work (laughs) done by the user is a friction point and thus is going to we could risk losing them or at least their interest putting a massive amount of weight on the very first action they ever uh do is a huge problem that's true the newbie should never take an action in its first experience yeah so and and also it's counter to literally everything people have experienced digitally thus far and that's i think that's really significant that normally you can kind of tap and fuck around and try things out, log in, throw a trash password in there, use your trash email, stick right. around, feel feel out the app. And then if you kind of like it, maybe you change your credentials a bit. Maybe you actually use an email that you actually want notifications from. You get to know things, and that is counter to what currently we're like allowing to happen with literally every wallet. Right. Um, and I think that's a huge problem. If we if we had an ability for someone to access a wallet, use it, and it was still secure in a reasonable fashion, and then at a later date, someone was able to record or store safely their seed phrase, that would be a massive uh, improvement over the current state of things. Right. So, is there? Does that make sense from a from a business model standpoint? I guess it is. You're just offering security. You're offering an insurance, effectively. I wonder, yeah, and I think this maybe the solution, the solution maybe could be bundled into um, another blockchain technology. Like you know, I'm I'm imagining a database on an AWS server that's storing everyone's login credentials and their seed phrase, and then they can choose to move it off when when they're ready. But honestly, it could be that there is a another blockchain that's used and it's a smart contract of some sort and it's a little bit more secure than just a single server that's encrypted i think there's i think there's op, i think there's a lot of different options that could exist but the key thing is we need a transition technology that really get makes it possible for people to try out and slowly adopt wallets because otherwise, we're just going to have a bunch of people that are just using their Coinbase or their Binance accounts and just storing everything on their exchange. And maybe that's fine, but they're, you know, most people won't realize it. There's an opportunity for them to avoid some needless fees. Uh, but then also, they 
could they're way more likely to be the victim of some massive hack of some sort right it seems like it's somewhat inevitable that binance coinbase you know bitrex gitio one of these will be hacked and anyone storing all their money on them will probably lose all their money yeah and that's, that feels inevitable that uh, that's inevitable because that's happened before um, exactly multiple that, times that ha- yeah that's happened multiple times the big one being mount gox in 2013 i could be wrong wrong in that year um but right and that's that's really the risk you run but what's fascinating about that is underlying this whole thought of what is risky is there's a built-in assumption of security through the traditional financial system that I think should be acknowledged in this thought, which is the reason why you feel secure with a bank is because you trust effectively the financial system. And I don't want to go too far down that thought, but I do want to recognize that there's risk in storing money anywhere and everywhere. And that's kind of one of the core aspects of evaluating an asset is the maintenance cost or security cost or just storage cost if you really wouldn't consider it that simple um and all investments there is no safe safe space or safe thing or way to store something um so even in that context of banking in the traditional system um there is still risk we see that you know there's been great depressions and run on banks and banks is banks collapse and stuff so that is always a, th- a concern but again that's more of a very 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 long-term concern which may not be relevant in the in the very literal conversation of wallet but <clears throat> why i mention it is because what's special about something like a digital wallet is that as long as there's internet you will always have access to that wallet to the foreseeable future you could think of this wallet. This wallet could last a million years if the network stayed um, around for that long. Uh, and that network really just needs effectively two nodes somewhere on the planet to be active, you and another person. So I think that's why, even though that's a much, much longer thought, that is something that's relevant to the idea of an ownership of a wallet is it's true ownership of something. And and that is a foreign idea in a lot of people's heads in the context of digital goods or digital assets. Kind of just looping back to where you were before. Yeah. You know, I've actually re- have, had to recover wallets because I just haven't, like, I ignored, I, bought, I had a bunch of some currency, put it on whatever wallet existed at the time. You know, a few years go by and the software I had is completely out of date. Uh, there's no way of like syncing or catching up on updates. I had to completely reinstall new software, and I'm able to still access my wallet even though the wallet has changed so much uh, and I've missed so many updates. I've always been able to recover my my funds, which is always shocking and remarkable. Feels like a bit of a magic trick. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like that's happened to me. I I uh, was setting up a MetaMask like six months ago and realized like oh wait a second i have another metamask seed phrase what is this and open it up and there is nothing in it unfortunately i thought i was gonna maybe find like 100 ethereum or something really dope but that did not happen um but it is really really strange to kind of just like it's like a magic redo in a way it's like a magic reset which is really really fascinating it's strange to experience yeah it is. Um, I also just Googled 2014 is the Mt. Gox hack, 
and 850,000 bitcoins were stolen. Damn. Which is just like an amount that's hard to fathom in today's price. What is that in the uh, in 850,000? Let me let me do the math really quick. 850 I'm going to race you. Jesus Christ, that's so many zeros I need to count them. 51 billion. Oh, wow, 51 billion. Do they, do they did they wow. ever find the hackers or anything for that? I don't know. I should look more into that story. Um from good. I was just going to say I, I watched this like Bitcoin documentary. It's like I think a pretty like I don't know, I think it's a somewhat famous one, but in the interviews there that um people were suspecting it was uh, somewhat of an inside job. Oh shit. Yeah. Someone like, that worked there. I heard that yeah, too. Like there was this, there was these. I think two French guys. You know, Mount Gox was originally a magic, magic card exchange community, right? What? I did not know that. Please yeah, tell so me Mount, all about Mount this. Gox is M T G O X, Magic the Gathering Exchange. It, oh it my was god! Originally, <laughs> an M T G online exchange. Oh my god! And they bought it and turned it into like a Bitcoin exchange. Oh my god! Um, I didn't know this. These two French dudes and. They they were living in Japan. I'm pretty sure it's Japan. Yeah. Um, and like in the documentary, they um they do a clip of the interview of him, like one of the founders stepping down, and people were obviously pissed because their Bitcoin was gone. But there's a lot of people who there might have been some like indirect evidence, but a lot of people were saying that like one or or both of them like stole a lot of the Bitcoin, you know, or compared to being hacked and stuff but yeah that was just interesting that's wild yeah i'm not too surprised <laughs> if you're running a small exchange and you especially if you assume like well i could send this all this money somewhere and no one will really be able to know what the hell happened right damn that's crazy think about that that's got to be the biggest heist in history is it yeah it might be. That's a that's an interesting conversation. Yeah, for that is interesting. I think about that. Actually, that's a that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's stealing the wealth of like Jeff Bezos. That's insane. Um. So, kind of what we're talking about here is security and uh, storing a wallet, and how that's a new idea for people. And we're really expressing the. Uh, you know, the the long-term security version of the thought. But the reality is there's a spectrum here. And the, and the way that the, that sort of is, that idea is looked at is hot storage and cold storage. And the way you could kind of think about that analogy is cold storage is something that takes you a lot long longer to um, access than your hot storage or, or warm storage. Um, and so we're talking sort of long-term storage, you know, where you would put your savings, so to speak, is what we would describe as your cold storage. But, you know, you wouldn't think about going and buying a cup of coffee and lugging a bar of gold out. So that's why things like the dollar or, in this sense, uh, like a, a hot wallet is something that people utilize as well. And the idea is really you probably won't have just one wallet. You'll have several wallets, um, and they may vary in degrees of warm or hot and cold. And really the idea there is 
you know, I might carry around, if I have a wallet in my pocket, I might carry around $100 with me or $200 with me, but I'm not going to carry, you know, $10,000 with me or, you know, I'm not going to carry my savings account around with me. Now, I still have a higher chance of if I get robbed or my wallet gets stolen or hacked, so to speak, um, I'm going to lose money. But, you know, it's me losing maybe a couple hundred dollars worth of money versus me losing, you know, my savings. And, and those are really, really different ideas. So there's kind of a lot of utility in thinking about wallets in different contexts. So there's the the context of your savings. There's the context of your checking account. There's the context of, you know, your wallet in your pocket. And so it's kind of always interesting to explore uh, how different people think about wallets. Um, and I would say that I predominantly have, I would say like 70% of my crypto in a cold storage and 30% in hot and that's what I've done, but you could go any other direction. That 30% is because I'm pretty active with that. But really, it comes down to how much money are you playing with or are you interacting with um, on a regular basis? Max, what do you think about cold and hot storage? And, and where do you land up in kind of how you think about where you put your money in those contexts? Yeah, I haven't. I actually haven't really thought about it in that way of, you know, oh, there's the money that I keep in my pocket then there's the money i have in my bank account and then you could even go a step further and then there's the money that's uh in a safe deposit box or something like, like retirement that. Like fund or 401k sure. or something yeah there's different degrees of security uh because i don't necessarily like you said i don't need to access all of my money immediately i have not implemented any of that kind of like degrees of separation of storage. I, I do kind of inadvertently, but I've, I've drifted towards just what the convenience of having things more or less all in one place. Um, staking's actually been the only thing that's motivated me to have uh, my investments in multiple wallets. If it wasn't, if I could stake everything in trust wallet, I probably would be. And that'd probably be the worst, that'd probably be a bad idea. So here's a kind of random a thought that I would love we should cover is what wallets do you recommend or use? We talked about exchanges and DEXs earlier or centralized exchanges. Um, what wallets do you use and what wallets do you recommend? I personally like Trust. Trust Wallet a lot. It is owned by Binance. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I use it and it's extremely convenient. I love connecting to different websites to transact just via tapping a QR code and then getting prompted a notification on my phone to connect or not. That feels very secure. And I also have a Ledger wallet that is my more secure wallet. And I have two of them. They're duplicated. One's in a safe. One is something I can, another one, the other one is uh, one I can access more easily. I'm less concerned about that being stolen than I am like my house burning down i think actually from a probability standpoint my ledger wallet is at more risk from being destroyed from natural disaster than someone breaking in and actually hoping to take it so that's kind of like been my approach uh with wallets i have not used a huge variety of them i have used a decent number of wallets on my the desktop of my pc i'm never a fan of those um i just feel like a pc is going to be more likely to be a target than maybe my phone 
but I, and I guess I've used a lot of browser wallets for exchanges. I don't store anything on them, but I have to use them in order to buy or sell NFTs to exchange on a DEX. And so I'm perpetually using browser wallets, uh, which as I've gotten to know them, feel more secure. So also, I've used them. I would also say there's, uh, there's a couple, just to round out what ty- the other types of wallets, um, there's paper wallets, which is literally just, you can get a QR code on the cold end of the spectrum, you can get a QR code on a piece of paper. Um, and that's oftentimes what uh, people will store as well instead of a seed phrase. It's effectively the same thing. On the warm side, uh, you have obviously like a Coinbase, which I would consider a wallet, even though it is a centralized wallet, because you do have the ability to send to and from it. I would also consider Solit if you're looking in the Solana space, obviously, and Soulflare if you're looking in the Solana space. What's interesting about those wallets, and I imagine trust will probably fall into that category soon as well, is that they're becoming more widely accepted. So if you have one of those wallets, you effectively have any of those wallets. They have more or less the same or similar functionality. Uh, What else is there? Daedalus, if you are following Cardano. I think that's about it. God. Yeah, I'm curious. Oh, MetaMask. MetaMask is the last one I want to mention just because of extensions. Um, It's technically a browser extension. So instead of going to a web page, it lives in the top right corner um, and connect with your web pages. And I actually think that one's worth mentioning just from a UX experience, a user experience, because it interacts in a way where you can have it next to your website you're looking at. And I find that to be a pretty pleasant uh, and tangible way of thinking about it. Can go with, continue what you're saying i was gonna ask eric what we didn't cover in regarding wallets like where do you where do you get confused or where do you think there's uh i guess barrier to entry on how wallets work well first setting it up and getting money into the account i remember i guess five years ago when i first put like my actual money into coinbase i was like where where's this going i just feel like it's uh, it was just like a scam. Um, obviously, it's not. But it's getting the money into the crypto space is the hardest part for me, or it was. But then once it's, but then when it's there and you can use the exchange just to exchange between different currencies, that felt a lot safer to me. Just getting the whole in. Point. Yeah, I'm just it was curious just... too. Did what? What felt different about it than like putting your money in like like a typical? brokerage like td ameritrade or something is it because you like the name is you know known and people you know you can trade on it and everything is it the name the brand that really it was probably it was definitely the brand or just like the name or being in that space but it was also kind of like an unknown entity where brokerage accounts and stuff like that is it trades in usd and so it feels it, it's like more familiar to deal with yeah totally cool um, i was just curious to me, it's yeah. like, you know, it's similar. You're putting your money on a platform where you can trade it for something else, essentially. I, th- I think another part of that that's kind of confusing is is actually the decimals parts of something like Bitcoin, where it's like, I have 0.008312 Bitcoin. I'm like, what does that mean? It's interesting how decimals the other direction are way more unnatural for us to read and can be hard to conceptualize and might aid in that sort of confusion or skepticism in 
I had $5 and now it's this random weird number that I can't even remember. Um, that's a piece too that I think is part of that that friction. You know, Eric, yeah. you're... Sorry, what were you going to say, Sasha? Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I was reading a Reddit thread and it was just interesting too how many people were admitting that they didn't even know they could buy like Satoshis for Bitcoin. They thought they had to buy a full one. Right. And even like barrier of entry, like so many people didn't realize like, oh, I can buy, you know, fractional, you know, Bitcoin. Right. You know, wild. Yeah, that's a new concept. Um, and I think, you know, Eric, what you're really pointing to with the fact that you're like, what is this brand? Where is this going? I think there's going to be a, a decent, decently steep learning curve uh, for people to learn to trust not trusting, which is a totally bizarre concept, but blockchain is designed for to be a trustless system, meaning you do not have to trust who it is or the brand involved. It's just the architecture of the blockchain uh, will execute what you are trying to do with it, no matter who's on the other end. And that is actually really hard. I think it's it's been hard for me. Like I've I my butt has puckered every single time I've sent a transaction until up until very recently. <laughs> Only recently have I started to trust the blockchain uh, that my transaction will go through. But in the early days, if I was sending pretty much any amount of anything, I was like, oh man. I sure hope this makes it to the other side. Well, think um, about it this way. Think you know. if, you, if you're not familiar with QR codes or copying, pasting, writing out someone's address is a horrible idea. <laughs> like, here's 256 characters that are randomly uppercase and lowercase, might be an L, might be an I. Do not typo that wrong, or else that money's going to get sit into the oblivion. Right. Um that's a that's a barrier to entry that's a big barrier to entry and that's just on the trade that we're not that's that's not even you know we're talking about the on-ramp of even just getting a wallet but even your first trade is is terrifying yeah um so i i I always think about this back to email like do you guys remember the first email you sent and how that experience was fairly For me, I remember trying to email my friend and the idea I couldn't figure out how the two line work, how the subject line work. I didn't understand if I needed to um, what this at at uh, like Windows dot whatever. I don't even remember fuse dot net, whatever the original um, is the domain, I guess, on that and in an email address like that was such a foreign concept. But if you think about email today, Email is pretty synonymous with almost everybody. Um, So I think what's interesting about it is I think once we get this first sort of Band-Aid ripped off and there's a good chunk of people who understand wallets and how to get into wallets and to build them, um, that will help either sort of bridge the gap to where it's it's more commonplace. Um, But once that's sort of happened, then I think it's one of those things you just kind of like learn how wallets work pretty early. and you get over that barrier to entry because you have other people to help you. Um, and I think that's ultimately kind of 
a role that I feel like I've wanted to uphold for people. And I imagine you have two max, which is sort of like the Johnny crypto seed mentality, which is like the easiest way to motivate someone to make a wallet is to give them a dollar in crypto in any random crypto. And, uh, I think that has helped, um, or at least is addressing to a degree. Some of the problem is that on ramp, of making a wallet is having someone with you teaching you how to do it and teaching you um why what's important what's not important do you want to save a seed phrase all the things we're talking about um imagine trying to learn crypto without having someone teach you that is the most unintuitive high risk thing there is yeah so yeah, I, it's not a great experience doing it by yourself. It's not. So kind of ultimately what I really think is, is we're going to hit for, to borrow a term, a bit of a herd immunity at some point where enough people know how to do it, that it kind of fills in the blanks for everybody else. And there's not a massive sort of bottleneck of knowledge that I feel like is current right now and was really prominent early on in email and like, I think it was like 1995, I think 1996 when I was first using email um, that I think will just, it's, this is just so foreign. I think wallets yeah. will get easier from the just familiar familiarity and exposure, but I also do think wallets will get easier from the design, the user experience, as well as the like, what can you do with a wallet? And I think actually there's a bit of a blank canvas problem with the wallet because wallets seem so simple in what they are for how much work they take but you know in a couple of years um in a couple of years that i've been using wallets the amount of functionality and things you can do with a wallet has shot through the roof and so i think give it a couple more years when the amount of functionality you can use with them starts to improve and the interest or utility as to why you would want to do the work of making one uh will be more justified so i see a lot of as we think longer term in this thought a lot of those problems and the problems we've discussed here start to get addressed do you feel that way or do you feel like this is always going to be that sort of like first mile problem so to speak the like just getting that first you know push of the boulder so to speak to get the ball rolling do you which feel which way do you go in that thought well i guess for me, it's I, I think people, human beings are amazingly tolerant of complexity when uh, there's a great power to be gained from a given tool. Like I think back to, to like the early smartphones, Blackberries, Palm Pilots, even like those were horrendous. They were miserable to use. Um, People use them, though, and they were actually decently popular, so popular that someone was able to make a mainstream version, which ended up being the iPhone, and then that's set the standard for smartphones we have today. Um, I think people, when they recognize the tool or the power that a technology can offer them, they're willing to do a lot and to learn a lot in order to take advantage of that. Where cryptocurrency seems to be a little bit different than other technologies that people have used to date is that it kind of requires 
a a threshold of people opting into it of people participating in it in in it or it just is better or that much more robust if it reaches a certain critical mass of people and that's why uh so much of the crypto space cares about accessibility a lot of complex things that have really hardcore communities don't give a shit whether people are using their app their game whatever you know people who play starcraft just play starcraft and they're very happy uh to play their game against other people who know how to play their game they're not particularly concerned about deep accessibility crypto is something that really does need to function on a massive scale for it to fully accomplish all of its potential so right. it needs as a community effect. yeah it does so as a community we're all invested in the larger success of the entire network uh which is actually super exciting because we could see development and innovation and accessibility like this is what you're saying sean of like we uh, it's only a matter of time until the wallet uh, does more things that it does today. Uh, and that motivation is co- comes from this core community that desires the network effect to be as big and broad as possible. And I think it's the right place for that incentive to lie, actually. Um, so, and so it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds. So if you think about this thought sort of in the adoption curve, uh, where do you feel like we're at? man like so early this this graph that i'm looking at has uh five categories the first two and a half percent are the innovators the next 10 percent are early adopters the next 40 percent are early majority the next 40 percent are late majority and the last 10 percent are laggards where do you feel we are by those categories early majority or are we still early in early adopters somewhere somewhere in between probably between um, early adopters and early majority yeah i think the, the the number of people that have heard about nfts and is like wow this is really exciting this is the cool thing this is the new thing everyone's getting into this gary v says so they have no idea how to even buy one like the number of people that are actually capable of acquiring Assuming they even have the funds, acquiring a CryptoPunk, the the number of people that are even capable of that is extremely small. Right. Um, the the closest thing we have, the most accessible version of blockchain there is, is NBA Top Shot. Like that's got to be it. That or just in that and just downloading Coinbase and buying some Bitcoin. We are so early in this spectrum. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah, we are extremely early, I would say. So how long do you think that it takes for us to hit the point where we go from the early majority to the late majority? What sort of time frame do you think that's going to take? Five years? More? Okay. okay. Eight? So Maybe I was eight years. A good reference point I always use in this conversation is I effectively would say a generation is it takes at maximum a generation to really adopt something. Maybe that's not a good way of thinking about it. Maybe it's much, much, much longer potentially. But 
I feel like if someone's been exposed to something their entire life, it's much more natural and easy for them to uh, adopt to it or think about it or incorporate it into the life that they have because it's a, all, the only thing they've ever known. So I always consider that to be on the long end and I work backwards from there. So that being that reference point, do you still think five years? Do you think longer, shorter? I mean, to get to that point of like late adoption, um, just to yeah. go over the threshold, basically to where um, we're over the 50% mark. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways of cutting this, like over 50% of people in the world own a cryptocurrency, you know, three, three years, maybe. Wait, um, oh, okay. And then number of people that have a cryptocurrency but engage with the blockchain in a way that's not just a storage of of money like just buying some ethereum or bitcoin um that's gonna be a way lower percentage in three years and so i think it really depends on the the depth of like what is the critical depth of of crypto uh knowledge or understanding like understanding the technology of it it's almost like no you know how many people have a app on their iphone that they downloaded from the marketplace versus number of people that understand the value of having apps that have different tools and abilities on their iphone you know like that is those are two fundamentally different things like the first iphone or the first apps that you could download for the app marketplace was like a button you click and it, your phone would fart like that was like an app that was pretty popular and now you can you have the entire adobe like suite uh on your ipad that is a there's a there's a point in that evolution where people realize that apps are not just a fun gimmicky thing um, or has one purpose to, oh, wow, this is an entire ecosystem, industry, whatever. Like there's a deep, there's a, there's a lot to be developed here. That critical realization um, is the one I think that matters for, for all of crypto because again, it's not Bitcoin. It's not you know, Ethereum as the silver to the Bitcoin gold. It's what can smart contracts do? What does decentralization actually mean? What is DeFi? What is the future of of the internet with this new technology? That is a, that's like a different threshold than just the base level adoption. And so that's why I really struggle on the timeline here because I think there's, there's a critical milestone in three years. And then I think there's a critical milestone in five years, but I, I and then, and then, and then there's, and then it just keeps going out like 10, 20, it's going to keep changing. I feel like we're closer than we are far in terms of the sort of early majority to late majority. Um, actually I just did, I just looked up some numbers and the webs, the statistic I just read is that, around 37 million people in the United States own cryptocurrency, which is around 10 or 11%. So that is by this definition, by this sort of 
adopt adoption curve definition is late early adopters. So I think that actually makes sense, kind of where your analysis was of having around 10%. Um, I think we're going to get to 50% really fast. I do think three to five years is probably what I think too. Might be faster. I mean, you're you're fighting cultural adoption, I think, at that point more than you're fighting technological or like financial incentive adoption like it's just like people wrapping their heads around the idea the educational side of the thought seems to be actually more the bottleneck than anything else um but what's also weird in that thought is during this transitionary period and granted this is there's like the immediate couple of year version of this transitionary period and there's obviously the long tail version of this which kind of you acknowledged earlier with the three, five, 10, 20, so on. Um, what I think like we're going to find is the early you earlier on in that thought you are is going to have massive ramifications. Like I do really think there is um, an unbelievable benefit to being an early adopter to crypto. Um, and I don't even mean that from a financial perspective. I mean that from a knowledge perspective, because I think it's really hard to think about crypto in present day, let alone trying to imagine a world that it's going to influence or kind of steer the ship, so to speak, or influence the steering of the ship over 10 or 20 or 50 years. Because, I mean, think about it, like where we're at in crypto now with things like decentralized exchanges and wallets that can buy artwork and stake and do all these these different functions was only stuff we could barely, barely start to scratch our like, like brains about like two or three years ago. Like when, when we're talking about this stuff, like my ability to think forward in the, into the future for this is like a couple of years at best. It's really hard and it's speeding up. So from a technological standpoint, I think we're going to see a really, really fast transition. And the people who are early adopters are going to be in a very, very different world than the the sort of late majority or the, the laggards or the, the Luddites um, in the in the thought. But um, that, I think, is going to create a lot of interesting social dynamics that I'm really interested to see the culture of. I think you're seeing a little bit of, a little bit of that in the NFT space of... If you were really, really early in the NFT space, you probably did really, really well. But now people, because they didn't get in early and they're sort of feel late to the game, they're kind of just like poo-pooing the entire idea um, for one reason or another, some valid, some invalid in my opinion. Um, I wonder how the culture is going to react to that transition um, and if that's going to be viewed as this is the ticket to more economic prosperity, or it's going to be seen as the ticket of, um, I got left behind and someone else now has a lot more of something that I have very little of. Right. No, I totally agree. I think the key, the key here is going to be convincing everyone that there's still a lot more money to be made and that's why they should care, be invested um or or something a lot more of the you know enter thing they care about because you're right the moment they feel like they got left behind that's when the the rejection uh comes into play right um but i you know i i think we're gonna have a long period of time for a lot of people to jump on the bandwagon so to speak 
Um, the moment we Bitcoin hits uh, 100K, um, then everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, let's go into 200. Let's go into 300. Uh, so on and so forth. So I think, I don't know, I think we're, I think the crypto space is going to benefit very well from the technology being very rooted in people making money, which is kind of weird. Uh, well, it's well, kind of weird to have a technology that is seen as a way of getting rich first and then it's technology and what it could actually do for changing the way you experience the world or interact with things like second but i think that that might be correct in a way because it's how you're gonna get people genuinely invested um as quickly as possible right like and literally giving them an incentive right and i think that is more actually there's more depth there than the sort of get rich quick sort of veneer that I think that oftentimes gets described as or viewed as because if there's a lot of money in crypto that means one could consider it a honeypot and a honeypot meaning is like if someone manages to crack the code to this then they get a lot of money there's a lot of money in crypto so in many ways the more valuable it is the more it creates an incentive to test the security and the resiliency of the network so in many ways that actually produces a positive uh force long term in the space and in the technology and i think also too is you need two ingredients to really see innovation. You need sort of opportunity or sort of a possible advancement, potential advancement in technology, and you need funding. So kind of in this context of crypto, it's done this really fascinating job of sort of combining technological sort of chemistry or innovation or however you want to think about it, while simultaneously the underlying asset of the technology is value. And so any amount of success in it has just bred more and more sort of splintered off projects and uh, incentive for people to build different forms and different improvements on the product. And I say product, I mean just like anything that functions around cryptocurrency. Um, and so that's where like where I get so um, to borrow a, a finance term, but I mean it in the technological sense, I get bullish on the technology is that like it has the ingredients to know that who cares if the currency is Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana or some token that comes out in 50 years? It's the fact that this mechanism and those ingredients um, will inevitably produce that. And so it's sort of a, if you think about it in that context as a wave, it doesn't necessarily matter where you are in the wave, but if you're on it, you can, you can ride it and it will provide value to you and ideally gets you to the same place um, as some other options. And the more as crypto is developing, the more I'm seeing it's less of a, is Bitcoin the big winner and is Ethereum the big winner? And more of a, actually all of these networks kind of interwork together and they all give each other stability. And as the whole, as a, each individual coin develops and grows, you see that actually compound on the larger cryptocurrency sort of ecosystem. And that's the, the space to me that is just like, this is... This is the future in a lot of big ways, in ways that we will be imagining for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's gonna be multiple waves, more or less forever. Like every new popular thing, like a new Twitter, a new Facebook, like enter popular app, 
Flappy Bird, whatever, is likely in the future post, you know, a lot of this crypto realization of the future, whatever we call this. Um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for people to participate in making money in some capacity. Like, okay, so maybe it's not Flappy Bird a game, but for example, there's a a wireless uh, network that you can participate in and you can buy a little router and wireless antenna uh, where you shoot it out of your, of your window and you connect to the rest of the network and you're creating a low bandwidth but pretty wide-ranged um, cell network. This network, to buy into it, is $400 to get a little box. Um, it then makes you about $200 a month from that point forward. And actually, it can make you more than that um, as the price of the, their token increases. But you're, that feels like money coming out of nowhere, I think, to a lot of people when I've talked to people about this. It seems like, like, well, wait a minute. How does the math work here? Um, how is it? Is, is, is this overvalued? Uh, why are you able to make that much money off this thing? And you, know, you can pay off that device in two months and then it's all profit after that. And I think the big paradigm shift that's going to have to happen is when people realize that the investment into infrastructure of a single company gets invested within a community and is then decentralized amongst the community, that amount of money has not been seen before. We, we're not used to, we're not accustomed to that amount of money being distributed to people. Uh, and it is, it's strange to see it. But for example, the average cell tower, like uh, AT&T or Verizon cell tower on average is $175,000, but can uh, cost up to, you know, $500,000. So that amount of money um, distributed to a lot of different people in the same footprint, uh, suddenly the $200 a month that they're getting for hosting their little, you know, cell network piece, their little chunk is quite reasonable. Uh, it's not an absurd amount of money being distributed. I think we're going to see a lot more of things like that, of this big investment being invested into members of the community that uphold a piece of the network. But I think until that's commonplace, there's going to be a lot of suspicion around wait a minute, like, what is this? This can't be real. I can't be making this much money off of this. It, um, it feels way too good to be true in a lot of ways. And yeah. I think there are a lot of corners where it absolutely is too good to be true. But if you look in the slower long term, it's it's got the resounding just like structure and innovation and technology. It's got the good foundation. Doesn't mean the house is never going to blow over. But the, the the foundation of the house is looking less and less likely to collapse. Um, it's looking like it is capable of building a house on top of, which I think is a really profound idea uh, when it comes to the foundation of what you're talking about, of being able to provide these utilities and these services in a sort of decentralized manner or more of a community sort of um, imprinted manner. 
it, it really shapes it and uh, defines this technology in a very human way. Like it feels like there's a thumbprint or a fingerprint sort of placed on each of those sort of digital utilities in a way that I think is really fascinating. Do you see crypto going more of a human direction long-term and being more representative, representative and having more sort of narrative resonance with natural lives? Or do you feel like it stays kind of this computery, science-y, math, spreadsheet uh, corner? Or does it do both? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, one of the most interesting projects that I've seen in recent uh, weeks is uh, the this beef beef <laughs> chain which is the tracking of of uh, meat coming from different ranches, so you can see exactly where your beef came from, who bought and sold it. Um, because if you care about the quality of your meat, that's a actually that's a valuable thing, and and that could actually be valuable for placing onto the menu in certain restaurants. Um, if a certain meat, meat that you have is particularly outstanding, you could then narrow down and figure out the exact ranch that that meat came from, and you can continue to buy more of that. Like that's the particular beef that you really love. You can narrow that down. Max, um, you know where this goes. This goes to the point where I can know the name of the cow that I'm eating. Yeah, I was definitely thinking of that wonderful um, Portlandia sketch Portlandia episode yep yep that's what I was thinking I was like oh we're here now we are here now right you can look at the lineage of your your steak dinners like if it's a 14th generation like Irish cow or some shit are we, are yep. we gonna start breeding cows the way we have like wine and like like horse races it's it's a mixture of wine plus horse races e equals like designer meat I think it's inevitable this yeah. is a horrible thought. Let's let's cut this. Let's stop this here.